Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me again for our Seedbed series. My name is Charlie, and I pastor our Amarillo campus at First Methodist Church. I'm so glad that you've joined me today to continue our discussion of Seedbed. Now, we began this Seedbed series way back on Sunday, March the 6th. Now, if you have been a part of this series and you've watched every sermon or you've been at church and sat in the, the sanctuary, the worship space for each sermon, I want to give you permission for just a moment to pat yourself on the back because you have made it just about halfway. We have nine sermons in this series and today is sermon number five. So congratulations. Now, if there's those of you who, for whatever reason, have not been able to join us for this entire series, maybe you missed one or you were traveling on vacation for another, that's okay. It's, it's just fine. But I would encourage you to go back and watch those sermons. You can watch those uh, through our YouTube channel or through our website. They're archived there. It's important for you to go back and watch those because we have designed this series in the hopes that each sermon in the series gives you an essential ingredient to make your the seedbed of your heart and your mind healthy. Because what we're hoping is that as you grow and as you, in, you invest these essential ingredients into the seedbed of your heart and the seedbed of your mind, that when God's truth finds its way to your heart, it quickly takes root and bears fruit. We want the, your heart and your mind to be well prepared with these essential ingredients so that God can speak to you and then the Holy Spirit can begin to produce the, the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Now, throughout this series, we have had four weeks leading up to today. And in those four weeks, we've talked about five essential ingredients so far. You might remember in the first sermon in our series, we tackled a, a pretty complicated topic. We tried to tackle the topic of the Trinity. We talked about why the Trinity was important. We also discussed why the church had so fiercely defended this doctrine, this belief. And then we had talked about why it was significant for us as believers. Then the next week after that, we talked about the Bible. We talked about how the Bible came into being, why it was important, why it was authoritative, and why we as Christians should regularly be reading it. And then during week three, we, we actually pushed back on an idea. We pushed back on the idea of going to church. And we pushed back against that. And then instead, we emphasized that we're not really called to go to church. We're called to be the church. We're called to be the bride of Christ. The church is not somewhere you go. It's something that you are. And then last week, we actually talked about two essential ingredients. We talked about holiness and grace. And we realized through that conversation that we are called by God to be a reflection of his perfection, and that we can only accomplish that goal if we're enabled by the grace of God. Now, again, I want to tell you that you picked a great week to tune in and be a part of our, our discussion today, because again, this week we're offering a sermon that has a two-for-one special. This week's sermon, the one you're watching right now, we're going to be discussing, again, two essential ingredients to having a healthy seedbed. The two ingredients we're going to be talking about today are heaven and hell. Now, if you're like most people, you really, really like talking about heaven. And also, if you're like most people, you tend to get a little uncomfortable or not really want to address or think about the topic of hell. But just like holiness and grace, heaven and hell are best discussed together. So to begin, we need to acknowledge 
some of the teaching of Jesus in our main text for today. Our main text for today is going to be found in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 33. And this is what it says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. So in this teaching, Jesus is acknowledging something that's important for us to acknowledge. Jesus is teaching us that there will be a division of humanity in the afterlife. Jesus is very clear from the very beginning of his parable. He's making the point that humanity will be divided just like sheep and goats are divided. There are going to be two places that humankind will reside in eternity. That's what Jesus is emphasizing here. Humanity will be separated in eternity and they will either exist for all eternity at the right hand of God or they will be cast away from God and God's presence to God's left hand. Now this teaching is important because it contradicts and it confronts a popular belief called universalism. Universalism is a belief system or a religious doctrine that says that every created person will sooner or later be reconciled to God. That, in other words, everyone eventually makes it to heaven. Now, in order to believe that doctrine, you would have to disagree with the teachings of Jesus as well as the teachings of the Methodist Church, the Methodist denomination. Because the United Methodist Book of Discipline actually affirms the teachings of Jesus that we find here in Matthew 25. Uh, in our Book of Discipline, it says, We believe in the resurrection of the dead, the righteous to life eternal, and the wicked to endless condemnation. So if we know, according to the teachings of Jesus and of the United Methodist Church, that there are really two options for us in the afterlife, heaven and hell, the next question I would think we need to ask ourselves is what determines where we end up? What determines if I end up in heaven? What determines if I end up in hell? And thankfully, Jesus gives us some insight in his parable found again in Matthew chapter 25. So I want to read for you this section of parable. This is a longer section of scripture, but don't worry. Our media team is phenomenal. They're going to get the words up on the screen so that you can see them as I read. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? The king will answer. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it for me. Then the king will say to those at the left hand, you that are accursed, 
depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not care for you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now this is important, so tune in with me. I want to pause for a moment and I want to make a clear and an emphatic statement. In no way is Jesus trying to teach a works-based salvation in this parable. Jesus in no way is trying to convince his original audience or you and me that our entrance into heaven is based on what we do. I want to be clear about that because a a simple reading of this text might incidentally give you that that impression, but that is not the case. And I know that's not the case. I know that's not what Jesus is trying to say because Jesus himself taught in John chapter 14, verses 1 and 6, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you know my father also. From from now on, you you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus' teaching is clear. And also the Methodist church affirms that salvation is based 100% on the free grace of God. That free grace of God that, as we talked about last week, God makes available to all mankind. This free grace of God empowers our faith. It enables us to put our faith in the saving work that Christ accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection. This is important for us to understand that it's God's grace. It's God's free grace that enables me to understand and receive the gospel message. Now, we talked more about how God's grace works and how it operates in our lives. Last week, we talked about Wesley's analogy of God's house of grace. So if you didn't hear that sermon, I do recommend that you go back and watch that one especially. So back to our text. If Jesus is not trying to teach a works-based salvation, then why is he talking about what people did or did not do when he was discussing their eternal location in his parable in Matthew 25. Because let me remind you, in verses 34 through 36, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. That's contrasted to what he says in verses 41 through 43 to those at his left hand. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. So let me explain what's going on here. 
Jesus is pointing out the actions of the individuals, not because our actions determine our salvation, but because our actions can be an indication of our salvation. Remember, we talked about this last week when, when Jesus taught us in Matthew 5 that who and how we love is an indication of the level of maturity of our relationship with Jesus. Jesus is making that same point, in my opinion, here in Matthew 25 by indicating that our actions can be an indication of our salvation. They don't determine it. They don't earn it. They don't, they don't gain it, but they can be an indication or, or evidence of it. In other words, here's what I'm saying. I believe Jesus is teaching us that when you follow the leader, you end up where the leader is going. Let me say that again. When you follow the leader, you end up where the leader is going. Jesus said in John 5, 19, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. So, Jesus walked this earth and he lived obedient to the will of the Father. And what did Jesus do? He, he followed the will of the Father by showing and serving those least of these. He showed God's love to the least of these. He loved those who, who hated him and he prayed for those who persecuted him. So by following the leadership of the Father, Jesus was led to ultimately be seated at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, if you and I want to end up at the right hand of the Father and, and be in the eternal uh, heavenly kingdom of the Father, we have to follow the leadership of Jesus. When you follow the leader, you end up where the leader is going. This truth is unfortunately also applicable to those on the left who our verse says, are accursed and are told, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Satan is actually described, you can find a description of him in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14, and it reads this, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly on the heights of Zion. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. In this text, this description of Satan, uh, we can see that Satan is really only concerned with himself. Satan's focus was serving himself and gaining power, not serving and loving the least of these. This conduct, this way of life of Satan ultimately leads to him being cast into the eternal fire that was prepared for him and his angels. Those on God's left in Jesus's parable, they are actually described as having a similar focus. They were not concerned with the needs of those around him. They were actually guilty of the sin of omission or doing nothing when they had the opportunity to do something. When you follow the leader, you end up where the leader is going. C.S. Lewis famously said it this way in his phenomenal book, The Great Divorce. If you have not read The Great Divorce, I highly recommend it. But C.S. Lewis says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end, 
those who say to God, thy will be done, and those whom God says to, in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, the door is opened. I want to be clear about something. God's desire is only that the devil and his angels be cast into the eternal fire that was prepared for them, as Jesus talked about in Matthew 25. But God loves us too much to force us into heaven. You heard me right. God loves you too much to force you into heaven. Think of it this way. If, if, if I am unwilling to live under the leadership of God the 80 plus years that I have on this earth, why would I ever want to be under the leadership of God for all eternity? God loves us too much to force us into a place and under a leadership that we are unwilling and we don't desire to be under. Now, I want to also say here, as we, as we wrap up for today, there is room, when we're talking about hell, there is room for debate on whether hell is an eternal conscious place of suffering and punishment, or if hell ultimately leads uh, to an entire destruction of, of self. That's what we would call annihilationism. There's room to debate that, in my opinion. But where there's no room to debate is that heaven and hell are a literal, real place where human beings will ultimately reside. And I'm confident in saying that regardless of your view on hell, hell is not the place that you want to end up for all eternity. So let me remind you, when you follow the leader, you end up where the leader is going. We need to ask ourselves, who is leading our lives? Who has control? Who has responsibility? And that's actually my next step for you. My next step, I encourage you as you listen to these sermons to, to find a grow group either through one of our campuses or start a, start a grow group of your own. Gather a group of people to watch these sermons in your living room or, or wherever you're listening to them and then talk about them, discuss them, figure out how they might best be applied to your life. So my hope is that you and a group of trusted friends or family member will ask yourselves this question. Does your life indicate that you're following the selfless, loving leadership of Christ? Or does your life indicate that you're following the selfish, self-serving leadership of the devil? I also would encourage you to ask yourself this question. If you were the leader, where would those who follow you end up? If following the leader means you end up where the leader is going and someone was following you as a leader, where would they end up if they ended up following you? Well, I hope this, this sermon was insightful for you. I hope it gave you some things to think about. I hope it's another source of essential ingredients for the seedbed of your heart. 
I want you to know that our pastoral staff is praying for you. If there's ever anything that we can do uh, to support you or serve you, you can put those messages in the comments or you can message us uh, through our, our private message. We would love to continue to serve you as a part of our online campus. Thanks for listening today and may God bless you.